חצי שעה של השראה עם ערן גפן. והיום בתוכנית. So hi, this is an international podcast, this version, and we have David Stabel, the global CEO of Y&R. Hello David. Hi, how are you? Wow, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are very excited. הכבוד שלי. Wow, Hebrew, so... <laughs> you, you have a special connection to Israel, and we will talk about it later. For our, our audience, I'd love to, if you can say a little bit, to, like, what is your role, and a little bit about Y&R, so just to get the, the right context. Sure. My role is Global Chairman and CEO of Young and Rubicam. Yeah. We are part of the WPP company, the public company. We have 189 offices in... some 93 countries, more or less, over a billion dollars in uh, revenue. We're made up of Young and Rubicam advertising. We're made up of VML, which is our quote, digital branding company, although that's a misnomer because what started as a digital company back in the day is now really a, a full-service, very powerful um, and interesting agency, a company called Icon Mobile. which is all about digital transformation. Um, we do a tremendous amount of work um, in the car industry um, with hard goods. We, we work with Bosch and some really interesting companies creating interesting interfaces between people and appliances, people in their cars. Like very, very cool. Uh, and BAV. And then a couple of assorted little things. So BAV is our brand asset valuator, which is the largest brand study in the world. So you put it all together, and uh, we're a pretty interesting company. Yeah, very much. How many people like in all wind down as well? You know, in the few thousands, probably, I guess, when you add it all up. probably about 8,000 or so when you, when you look at all the pieces okay. around the world. So I think that you have a special uh, perspective, like you have a global view of the industry, uh, of brands and what like their challenges. So what, is, what can you see from your point of view, uh, what are brands are, um, thinking about? He has a, an Apple Square and he's 
taking your credit card, but you're buying coffee in the street and the guy has a credit card. So digital pervades everything in our life. It's the foundation today of just about everything, which is fine. It's awesome. It's great. It's very empowering. But not everything is digital. So we still crave going to events. We still love concerts of people together. Broadway, for example, Broadway plays and are still very powerful. People still go to movies. Restaurants are packed all over the world. Interesting, neighborhoods are coming back all over the world, meaning that that people are small little businesses, artisanal entrepreneurs who are no less entrepreneurs, by the way, than, you know, our startup nation guys who are doing high tech, but the people who are opening beautiful little stores, bakeries or or clothing stores or bookstores, whatever, in little neighborhoods who are also entrepreneurs are, are doing very well. And I believe that the reason they're doing well is because of digital, because now that we're able to walk around with our true mobility, because we have our our smartphones and we can actually walk outside and go around and see things, it's brought neighborhoods back. Even look in Israel, like if you go to, you know, Nevei Tzedek, you go to to Zichon, all kinds of places where it's amazing when you walk down these little streets and you see these beautiful stores. So my sense is that they were swirling around all this and now they're coming back to it. They're understanding that the power of their brands, the need for the power of their brands has never been stronger. I'm hearing this from client after client. My God, you know, we thought that all we had to do was have some kind of a digital banner or video and link to something at Amazon or wherever and buy something and that would be it. And all of a sudden they're realizing that they hadn't spent enough money building their brand. And so everybody's going back to their brand building and saying, wow, it's, I, I really need to do both. Like, it's not one or the other. So let me see if I understand. You feel that in the past uh, they neglected like the basic marketing steps and, and ran to the buzzwords or like the more uh, trending topics and neglected the basics? Exactly. They neglected the basics. And what's what's most interesting is that the the one company that did not neglect the basics was Amazon. So I love studying Amazon. Jeff Bezos once said, I have people watching me, but I watch the consumer. So Jeff Bezos says, drones, drones, guys, watch me. Drones, drones are going to deliver your tube of toothpaste. So everybody starts running after drones and setting up their committees to study Uh drones. Meanwhile, what does Jeff Bezos do? He goes and he opens up stores, physical stores, and he buys Whole Foods, a huge network of uh, in, in the U.S. of stores, of you know food stores. He puts a ton of money into advertising, like television advertising. And so why yeah. does he do that? What does he know that you don't know? That's what I ask my clients. What does he know that you don't know? He's not sitting in his meetings going digital first because he is a digital first company. He understands that digital is in it. That's it. It's digital. Enough already. You know, it, it's interesting, right? If you think back 50 years, did anybody sit and say analog first? <laughs> no, right? We said, I agree. We said we're going to market. And so we used all of the tools that we had. And so we went from print to radio to television to cinema. And we just did it because we marketed and we followed the consumer. When we got into the digital world, we stopped following the consumer and we started following digital. Big mistake. Digital was going to happen. It's here. It's done. It's, there is no other way. So we need to get over it and start getting back to marketing. I agree. The, the Amazon mission statement is obsessed around the client. It's passionate about the country, which is like the first step in every marketing book, be obsessed on your client. Exactly. But there is some kind of a problem with this thesis, and it's like, if you look at every industry that there is, like a big industry, the digital native company came and ate all the land. So, 
Amazon is retailer, uh, Facebook and Google are media companies, Airbnb is hospitality, so you can see, so from one hand, yes, brands and marketing and everything else is very important, but those companies, your clients, in each industry that we can think of, seeing, like watching their digital native companies, their competitors coming and winning because they are like new kind of brands. Right, but I see and, that is, but, but you see, I see that as being evolution. So if you go back and study the history of malls, for example, or the history of big box retailers, people said the same yeah. things, right? So these yeah. big box retailers came in and they ate the lunch of all the people who didn't get big box retailing. Now, why was that? It was because there were a set of social forces at work that where people were getting into cars, they were able to drive. There were all kinds of things happening that made, that changed back then the face of retail and started to kill the little guy. Now what's interesting is if you follow retail, little stores are becoming very powerful. People are opening smaller stores. So Amazon, Amazon's bookstore, we have one right across the street from me and I'm looking at it right now and I love it because every morning, I swear to you, every morning I look at it and it inspires me. It inspires me because I understand that this is a company that's not caught up in the paradigm of what I call digibabble. What they're caught up in is is one thing is the customer the consumer so obviously obviously new technology or new application of technology was going to drive us and new social mores were going to drive us into new ways to buy and that's fine i think that's amazing now by the way at the end of the day i mean let's be clear it's not so 10 percent about 15 percent i don't know of retail happens online we think it's everything but it's not so let's be clear and more and more is moving there as it should i mean i buy online all the time i and by the way i bought in catalogs before it was online because i found it to be more convenient but i love buying online it's good i don't buy everything online because there's certain things if i buy a pair of pants and it's the first time i'm wearing that pants i like to try them on and after that i'll buy them online all the time etc i think that this notion of they're eating the lunch it's always been the case the next thing has always eaten the lunch of the thing before until it started to settle and i think we've come to this point where it's starting to settle a little bit right even just look at i think amazon's beginning to raise its prices like think about this right amazon needs brands to be strong online because they've got to raise their prices right so already they're trying to change their shipping so it's not quite as simple as as people make it out if i ask most people what's prime shipping they say oh you get it tomorrow that's not true you don't get most things tomorrow they've changed it and they try to push you into six-day delivery by the way it's really interesting go look and you'll see they'll give you a five dollar gift certificate if you take a longer because they need Ah, they need they need to to make more money right they can't afford this to you know to to keep shipping prime for the rest of their lives you know because at a certain point the biggest disruption of amazon has been very simply that they're not held to the same standard as everybody else so walmart is held to a standard of profit and loss amazon is not but at some point they will be so they need to they need to do that and they're trying hard so again i i my, my point is that, that obviously this is going to happen and we need to understand it but i'm still selling goods there right it's powerful you know what what's interesting like um i think is a good example is uh, disney and netflix so and uh, disney uh, declared that they are uh, going out from netflix and you can see those two big companies 
one is the new company and one is like the titan of the world of entertainment going to a clash and Disney is trying to be Netflix like I'm just they're buying companies they're uh, building data capabilities and from the other side Netflix which is the platform trying to be more Disney they are like doing merchandise So each and one of the companies is trying to beat the other company. Well, no, so you're totally correct. But here's the problem, right? And, and by the way, that's not, that's not new. I mean, again, it's, it's, so, so you go back and, and look at the history of broadcast. This is the new broadcast, right? So we're sort of we're, we're at this inflection point where we talk about cutting the cord. But when you cut the cord, now you're attached by a thousand strings. So before, if I had the cord, in other words, if I had cable, like, you know we now have in Israel you know when I lived there we had one channel and now we have cable and so when we had cable we could watch all of those channels right we paid one fee and we just surfed up and down we sort of we want now and so I'll just give you my example so I have a smart TV I have it attached to an Apple TV I have it attached to um, and I have every single one of the everything is activated so Amazon is activated Hulu is activated Netflix is activated it's all activated I have Xbox one attached to it and the joke is I'm paying each one of these right but 80% of the content is the same maybe more meaning that I can get this the same movies right because most of them are the same movies except for the ones that just Netflix does so right? I have to have Netflix for that or maybe the ones that just Amazon does I have to have Amazon for that so all of a sudden I'm paying way more money to watch stuff So I think I've done a great thing, but I'm paying more money. So at some point, it's all going to re-aggregate. And people aren't going to want to be paying Netflix and Disney and Hulu and whoever. They're going to want to pay one fee and get everything. And then it's going to be less about the channel, if you will, and much about the content. And that's fine. And I think actually that's always been the case, right? I think even in the days of, in the United States of, of networks, I was trying to think about it, but I think it was basically the same. So one year, one particular network did better because they had better shows. The next year, the next network did better. And it wasn't that you were only a fan of NBC or ABC. You were a fan of the show. You wanted to watch something. And so you watched what was important to you and you didn't really care which network was on that we're in the same place so I think I think we're going to see more of that but I will tell you once one interesting story it brings it sort of all together which is fascinating so Netflix is caught in a complete digital world right that's the only way that they their whole business is digital because they're streaming you the movies the shows whatever and it's a locked world you pay a fee you get on So they could add a month a thousand pieces of content. They can spend eight billion dollars like they're doing next year on on developing new stuff, but it doesn't give them an extra penny other than if they get more subscription right so you you're on no matter how much they add you've paid the same amount that's it they're finished so they buy a movie called um, Beasts of No Nation starring Idris Alba is a couple of years ago and Beasts of No Nation is a movie about children soldiers in Africa very interesting movie now they think that they might win an Academy Award for something because Idris Alba is a global star and the topic is sort of hot enough to be able to to drive some but the problem is to get an Academy Award according to the rules today which ultimately will will change I think but today is you have to have theatrical release meaning you have to be in a theater and for a certain amount of time yeah and like three days people to sit there and watch it so they go around and they try to get into a theater but who wants to put it in a theater because it's already for free you're 
already watching it. So they managed to get into a few theaters, and yeah. they made, and the numbers That's are... Oscar. Yeah, they didn't get an Oscar, and the numbers are pretty accurate. They made $55,000 on release. So in other words, here's a movie, they produce, meaning they bought the movie, and they make $55,000 extra. Yeah. So, right? So, they only made $55,000. The rest is free. Now, fast forward two years. Amazon does the same thing, but the name of the movie is called Manchester by the Sea. Okay. So what does Amazon do? Obviously, it's Amazon. It's a digital business. We know it's the biggest digital business in the world, or one of them. So what does Amazon do? They must have put it up on Prime so that everybody could see it if they're on Prime. Actually, it's not what they did. They put it into theater, and they only had theatrical release. That was the only place you could see it. And what happens... They make $40 million. I'm pretty sure my numbers are fairly accurate. So they make $40 million. Now, the movie goes to the Oscars and it wins. So they make another $30 million. And trust me, if you've seen the movie, which is a great movie, by the way, they way more than made back their money. So now they've made you know, $70, $80 million just in the U.S., not forget the international release. So now you think, okay, great. They put it on Prime. Everybody can see it for free. No, they put it on VOD, Video On Demand. So the only way you can <laughs> see it is if you paid for it. And finally, when they went through the entire quote-unquote traditional cycle, did they put it up on Prime? Now, you could look at it and say, oh my God, if it wasn't Amazon, if it was David Sable movies, Iran would be saying to me, why did you do such a traditional marketing campaign? Why didn't you just put it out? Meanwhile, Amazon made a shitload of money, had way more people see the movie, way more fame, and Netflix had a movie that just wasn't worth as much. So you tell me who is the smarter. One of them was a digitaler, the other one was a marketer. Yeah, I think the, this point is very clear. It's a great story, by the way. Great example. So I, I want to ask you about the culture of companies. Maybe the new companies are not only around technology. They are also about the culture. So an old thing which I very adore is like brand is outside and inside it's the culture it's like the it's like the window to the culture so maybe the, some of the brands are like not their culture how they get uh, things done how they move slow or fast this is what separates between them and they're like the new companies. I think that's definitely true in a way. But then, you know, the question of culture, if you look at a company like Uber, they had a, a poisonous culture. And there's been, there's been a lot written about Amazon not having um, yeah. such a great culture as well. So I'm, I'm never sure about that. I think culture is something that pervades everything. I think culture pervades us as companies. But I'm not 100% sure about the brand. And by the way, you know, if, if you, you hear from different companies and you, you just look, there was a book written many years ago, Teaching Elephants How to Dance. And it talked about two companies. One was called Apple and the other was called Kodak. Now, Kodak went away. Kodak died. Kodak was a company right in its day, the most famous company of, in photography in the world. They made film. They did whatever. They were never able to get into the digital world. They never made the jump, right? They just couldn't do it. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that Apple and Kodak hit the same wall at the same time. So there was a period of time back in the late 70s, maybe early 80s, when Apple was having issues, right? So they had the, they had the, the, the original Apple and they couldn't, and they just couldn't move beyond it. And you had Kodak who was stuck too. And they hit the same wall at the same time. The difference was that Apple was able to innovate 
their way out of it and see what came next, they were able to pivot, and Kodak wasn't. So I think it's the pivot that's critical. So I'm not sure if it's just the culture thing, it's the pivot. So what's, what's interesting, I think Israeli companies, Israeli high-tech, like, I don't think there's an Israeli in the, in the high-tech industry who doesn't know the word pivot. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the most important word because you have to pivot. You have to, you have to be able to, to change. And to me, that's not a question of big or small or, or anything else. I think it's just a question of understanding the market. And I think that what's brilliant about some of these companies is that they're understanding the market better. We're just not paying attention to it. I think that Amazon understands customers better. I think Facebook has a great understanding of its users. And then if you look back at some of the companies that moved fast and were great, and but you know just didn't get it, weren't just didn't get their customers, they're way more failed high-tech, if you will, companies than there are successful ones. And yeah. no matter, even so though they moved fast and they did great and they had brilliance and yada, 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 and they were digital, and but you know, they just didn't pivot, they didn't get it. So let's, if we're talking about fever, let's talk about the advertising uh, industry. So you are a CEO of a global company with more than 100 different agencies around the world. And offices, yeah. I, 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 offices, yeah. And, and uh, I read like the Financial Times uh, last article, I, I'm not sure that if you read it, but that's it like. They, they wrote about how all the big companies are having some problems with like the changing market and the need to change and then the need to pivot. So now it's the, maybe this is the Kodak moment. <laughs> It's a nice place for that, but maybe this is the Kodak moment for the advertising agency or for the, the advertising uh, uh, companies. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and I love the fact that you picked that up, the Kodak moment. Yeah, that's very good. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, my view is that we are in an industry that has always done well with the Kodak moment, meaning... If you follow the history of, of our industry, this has been one of the most innovative industries in the world, yeah. maybe the most. And so how, how can I possibly say that? It's very simple because we started as an industry that was about print. We were the first people to jump into radio and we helped commercialize radio. Then we turned to cinema, helped commercialize that, helped commercialize television. And so each time was a complete new innovation, right? So, you know, what's interesting, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you, and, and this, is, this is the example that I, I like to use, but if if you know about the early days of radio, people didn't understand it. People didn't know, how, you know, my God, all of a sudden there's this voice coming from the middle of my living room. Like, wow. And so the people who were talking on it didn't understand it. So people used to read the original, the early broadcasts of radio where people were just reading newspapers because they didn't know what else to do. They'd read the newspaper over the air. But then they got smart and they realized, wow, you know what? I can do an interview show. I can yeah. broadcast live music. You know, they used to broadcast symphony orchestras because they didn't they didn't have recording yet, so they would do it live. They did plays, and they realized you could do sound, and it was like amazing. You could create a whole world of sound and give somebody in their imagination. They'd be in the Middle Ages. They could be in space. They could be underwater, any place, right? So we learned how to do that. Then came television. The early days of TV were people standing in front of radio microphones reading scripts because that's all they knew how to do. And then they learned how to use it. They learned, my God, look at all these things you can do. And then came color. You know, we made the first color advertisement ever done. Broadcast was made by, by our company, by Young Aruba. 
the cap. Yeah. Now, when they did it back in the day, you know, I don't know, 10% of the households in America maybe had color TVs, but they knew that one day that would be the standard. So they wanted to learn how to do it. So they did it and it wasn't easy. So I, I look at where we are today as that. We're at the early days of TV. We're standing in front of radio microphones reading scripts. That's where we are with the with, with this world today. And uh, I think the Yeah, but uh, let, let me be a little bit harder on you because it's not the same example because somebody else uh, took the, the, the case. Like 70% of like the, the online media is like Facebook and Google has it. So it, it's, not in the, it's not in the hand of the advertising industry anymore. Yeah, but it never was. Yeah, I mean, it, media was never in our hands, only in Israel. It was in the rest of the world, it never was. Yeah. <laughs> it never was. And in Israel, sadly, it still is. Unfortunately, the media yeah. environment in Israel is toxic. But in the rest of the world, it's different. So let me get back, because that's an important point. Facebook is working with more and more Google, Amazon. They all have advertising departments. <laughs> Think about that. And they're very open about it. That's what they call it. They're the advertising departments. They don't call it the streaming digital experience department. They call it yeah. advertising, and they sell advertising. And when the analysts talk, they say, how much advertising are you selling? So it amazes me that we use the language and we don't even understand it. And so they come back now. They're all coming back to the agencies and saying, look, we need help. Because it's not magic. It's not like, okay, great, just put your brand logo up on Facebook and all of a sudden you have a zillion sales. So the things that we do as an industry are still very important. I believe, in fact, never been will, more important. Yeah. So I'll I give you... Yeah. That they want to work directly with the brand. So I, I'm not, I'm, I don't know how it's in the U.S., but I'm under the impression that P&G will work like have its own analyst and they will work directly with Google and they will have machines running everything and maybe a little bit uh, consulting from uh, from agencies. Yeah, but I want I don't mind that so much. Who cares? I, 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 because I work with them too. And they by, and by the way, all those companies bring if they work with a good agency, they bring the agency into it. And very often the agency is not the interface, but working with them. And I have to tell you, you don't think that happened back in the day? I mean, I used to work with, with whether it was the the broadcasters, whether it was the media, we would work with our clients and with the media to create new and interesting ways of reaching people. So, but let me go back. I think there's three things that define the world today for advertising. It's very simple. And if you can't get those three things, you will fail. And that's why people are failing because they don't understand them because they're swirling around them. And it's very simple. The first is called creativity. The second is called innovation. And the third is called technology. I call it the holy trinity. Now, let me tell you, it's very simple. Creativity is a about the story. This story has always been important, and I'd argue that this story has never been more important. Just go to Facebook, go to, go to any of them and ask them. All they want to talk about today is the story. Yeah. Because they made a mistake thinking that because it's digital, you don't need a story. You just put something up and it works. It's not how it goes. You still need that story. People still need to be hooked. People still need to be, to be motivated. They need to have an experience. So the story is important. And I have to tell you, the proof to me is very simple. Why is it? There's only one question you have to ask yourself. Why are people still reading the Bible, the Quran? Why are people still reading Shakespeare, the Iliad and the Odyssey? Why is Harry Potter still a bestseller because stories talk to our DNA. It's in our human experience. It's part of who we are. So you must have stories. And as we look forward into the future, stories will always be a part of what we do, without a doubt. Even when, you know, digital is long gone, stories are still going to be important. So somebody asked me at a conference the other day, they said, well, don't you think that AI will one day be able to write stories? 
that we'll be able to write, you know, write machine stories, the AI will be just as good. So I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, here's the, the situation. I said, when you can get a computer that lives in a car, has no money for food, and writes a book on a napkin, you'll have another Harry Potter. But you'll never be able to do that because it's the serendipity of the human experience. That's creativity. So now let's look at innovation. What's innovation? Because we use this word the wrong way. Innovation is about how we distribute the story. So print was once an innovation. Radio was an innovation. Facebook is nothing more than an innovation. In and of itself, Facebook is not technology. It's applied technology. It's using technology. But it's an innovation. It's an innovative way for me to share and to, to share my story and to share my brand story. So if I, yes. but that innovation requires creativity. It requires a story, right? Without a story, it goes no place. Social media is all about stories. That's all it's about. If I don't have a story, there's nothing. So now I have my innovation. But what's technology? Here's where it gets interesting. So technology is the enabler. Technology allows me to take my story inside that new innovative way of distributing it and do something different. It allows me to interact with it in new ways. It allows me to buy directly from it. It allows me to share it in a different way. So when I put those three things together, I have a very, very powerful offer. Yeah, I agree. It's a great way to make it in, in a simple way but in also a, a deep way so yeah I, I totally see that so, and so my if view you were is, talking about I was saying my view is that, no. that agencies that get that are going to be successful and if you don't get it you know if you're still thinking that oh my god it's all about my being innovative you're, you're just not going to go any place you have to understand the three things if you can do that you'll be successful so if we are speaking about the story and the importance of a story maybe you can maybe you can tell me about your story so how you became the global CEO of Windar and what the and like you and also what the relation to Israel so you know I I, I noticed that you know a little bit Hebrew like you said Budke earlier so when you when you when you put it all together I consider myself to be as much an Israeli as I am in America um, I'm very open about that I'm very upfront about it you know and and give me give me you know a few days in Israel and my my Ivrit becomes shotef again and during the day actually I try to speak as as, as much as I can so I, I have a bunch of Israeli friends who call me during the day just to, to talk to me in Hebrew so I can keep uh, I can keep it up so growing up in America and going to you know day schools yeshivot we're always brought up with a tzionut that we should go to Israel that that's the place to be and it's something that you know it had always been in the back of my head um I was blessed to marry a Sabra, whose father was a diplomat, and I had the opportunity after our first year of marriage to move back to Israel, to move to Israel, to bring her back. And I came to Israel, um, as many did, it was 1979, 78-79. Um, I came to work in a, a small company that had a, a connection to America. It was an advertising PR firm in, in Yerushalayim. I quickly realized that it really wasn't... Um, as good as I thought. It wasn't really something I wanted to do, and we were thinking of going back, but, you know, we were already there. We said, why don't we just stay till the end of the year? Because we'd come in August. They said, let's stay till June. And I started doing news production. Um, I worked for the original Upaneha Bira when they were underneath... Um, 
when when they were in Binyanei Huma in uh, in Jerusalem. I was doing news production. I was doing some really interesting things. We one day I'll tell you all the stories. We we pioneered some very very cool stuff. And then I met um, somebody who became my partner for the next five years or so, uh, Rafael Malinovich, who was a brilliant graphic artist who had been Israeli, who had been in America for about 13 years, I think, at that time, and had come back. He's a little older than me, and he had started a little company with Ari Eli, who at the time was the number one agency in Israel, called yeah. Mimsar. Now, what was Mimsar? Rafi believed that, so remember, this is 1979, Rafi believed that there was this thing called technology, and that... Oh. Uh-huh. And that it was an underserved market in Israel. That most of the most of the companies were beginning to focus outside Israel, but they had no marketing skills. And that this was an interesting market to get into. So we started a company. We were hugely successful in our day. Um, we had clients like Cytex, Optrotech, Elsint. Okay. You can't imagine. They, one day again, you'll come to New York. I'll show you. I have all of our portfolio. Um, it's like a, a, it's amazing because everything connects. Like what you said before about technology and, and, and also I know that you were sorry for jumping but you're working today with startups so it's Everything connects to everything. Like, oh, without a doubt, it's all Bashir, you know. So, yeah. so I, I, and so that's where I learned. That's where I learned about high tech. I mean, when I came in, when 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 we first met Cytex, the original Cytex machine was in a room, like a huge room, big room, yeah. like the computer. And the guy was in there. He wore a white coat because it was very cool. Like you had to be an operator, and it took about an hour to render the lips of a model from red to darker red but I saw it and I said oh my god this is the future and now that they, that full room computing you have more power in your hand and you can do it in like you don't even see it because it's so fast but that was the beginning of it that's how I started in high tech and we did we, we you know make quite a name for ourselves in the market we did um, again we did all these different all these different companies um, and then at a certain point for a variety of reasons decided to come back to the state uh, the rest I just is history in 90s, I went back into Y&R, but I went to, um, I worked in Burson Marsfeld, which is the public relations, did a lot of high-tech work. I've always been very involved in the high-tech industry. And then um, in 1996, I left the company and did a startup, a very early, a very early retail internet startup. We were one of the first, it was a whole data omni-channel play, but way too early. Um, we ended up closing and I came back into, into Y&R to a company called Wonderman, which was all about data and, and digital because that was where, you know, I, that's what I've been doing and you know then I ended up here so there you go started my life it's a, a short story yeah so like the Wonderman is like a great story because uh, a great example because it was like the, the base maybe one of the pioneers of marketing one on one if we talked about Netflix and all the on Amazon so like this is the base of everything how you do absolutely yeah. absolutely Lester Wonderman was a pioneer and a genius in fact when I was in had my own company um, it was called Genesis Direct Reshit Direct yeah. So when I had uh, when I had uh, that company, Lester was one of our advisors. Oh, nice! And if you go back, you can actually Google this. You can find or Bing it. I always say Bing because Microsoft's a client, so you got to say Bing once in a while. Okay. But okay. but if you <laughs> but if you search it, you can find that back in 1967, 1968, Lester said things about where computers were going to be taking us in marketing, but not just in marketing in your life, like things that you'd be able to do. I swear to you that if if somebody would say it today you'd say oh my god he's a visionary he was saying it in the 60s he understood this world in a way that no one else did i agree i i, I read his book and i think like 
maybe the technology wasn't there, but the ideas and the, everything, like he already said, set of mind, like. Oh, uh, cool. So um, le let's talk a little bit about like the Israeli market. So you earlier said that uh, the media environment is toxic, and so I know that Weindahl um, was one of like the leaders of this industry. And how do you see this industry today, like the Israeli market? So I think in general, um, the Israeli market for us is not, has not been a, a particularly successful market in the long run. It, it's, just, it's an interesting market. I think there's some great work being done there, but we have, we've decided to, to not put a lot of effort into the advertising market there. Um, it's just too, too small and too, too contentious to work in. We're much more interested in working with the startups and working with the high-tech companies and working with just the, the just incredibly smart people who are running um, interesting businesses than we are about doing advertising these days in Israel. Yeah. There's, just, there's just way well, more opportunity for that. And again, I think there's some great companies, um, some great, great advertising companies in Israel, and some of my very best friends in the world are running some of those companies, you know, not necessarily WPP or YNR companies. You know, I know a lot of people in the industry, and I have huge respect for the people who do the work, and I think there's some great work being done there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a small market for us. And so we're not just there. And there are a couple of other countries we're looking at, just small markets where we're just not just not worth it's it's just not worth the effort for us anymore we'd rather have alliances with people that we know who we trust and if we have a piece of work to do we're happy to to find someone to help us with it but maybe if, if you have an interesting perspective because you understand the global market and also you you know the Israeli market do you have any advice for like brands or uh, agencies from this market where where is like the next step what need to be to be changed to be more uh, like uh Let's talk Well, I think that the I think the issue really I think part of the problem is the way media is bought, right? So I think that's a I think that's an issue. The rest of the world, for the most part, has gone away from the commission model and yeah. and and certainly the super commission model. So I think that that's a I think that that's a problem the way the industry works because companies are because of the commission model. So it's hard for an agency that's not by media to get any traction. Yeah. And I think it's just a mistake. I think that I think the clients are missing out on you know some people who might have great and important opportunities and, and ideas for them and, and great and important creative because they're locked into this framework of having to of having to pay through the media. And it's also it's not a transparent it's not a transparent market. And I think that's a, I think that's another problem. So I think ultimately it's going to change just because it's changed in the rest of the world. But I think that, that the market would just be better served to, to work on, on scope of work. Like, you know, I'm going to give you great ideas, pay me for it, and buy your media separately, you know. Don't, don't put it all into the commission. Buy your media, pay a fee to have a good, solid, intelligent um, communications plan and media buying, but at least know what you're, you know, know what you're getting for it, as opposed to, as opposed to, to linking the two. They've been delinked here. Now, the truth is, look, from, from one point of view, you could argue that oh, it's a shame we got delinked because we made you know agencies made way more money. It was much easier to operate back in the day. But the truth is, I think that 
the clients get better work when the buying, when, when the costs of it are changed, when it's not on a commission basis, but it's on a, on a basis of fee for the work you do. I agree. Especially today where the needs are very vast and not all of them are commission-based. So if you want to solve really a problem of the client, you need to be able to play on all different fields. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think part of the problem is that there's just so much you know, there's so much television still being bought and, you know, whatever. So I think, I think you know, that'll change. But I, I think that in general, I mean, there's such great work being done. And, you know, sometimes I'm jealous just because the ability to have all those companies around you, you know, all the yeah. startups and have the, you know, the garage geeks and, and all those people <laughs> just at your doorstep, to me, is a huge, yeah. like, what a what is to be able to just, like, reach out and find, like, a couple of young people who are have an interesting idea and who can do stuff here. I mean, in a week, if I don't see two or three Israeli startups, it's a bad week for me. Uh, and so yeah. all, the young, all the young startups, I mean, you know, again, if you, if you, add, you, you don't take my word for it, you guess around. But, but, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed and, and I don't take it for granted that, you know, people know me um, in that world. And I love when, when the young people come to me and they show me interesting ideas and I have an opportunity to react to them and maybe give them a little advice, whether it's worth it or not is irrelevant, but very often to help them do a beta or find them a client who can help them you know move to the next level those are those are very it's very gratifying and i love the fact that you know that these are israeli companies I, it makes me personally very proud yeah i i heard and i also know about a couple of cases that you heard the israeli startups and like i know i know that it's happening yeah. So last question I think is about the Cannes festival. Festival. I know that you <laughs> were that you were a judge and all. They're like a wandering chagrirut, you know. When you think uh, about sorry. it. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I think it's a very interesting perspective, and I think it's very updated to use real people and to give them the the empowerment to take the message forward. Yeah. So I agree, and you think like a, a, a new madman, you know. <laughs> This kind of thing. So, so, David, thank you very much for coming to this show, and uh, to uh, it was great, very inspiring. Yeah, it was great. I learned a lot. So So did I. So did I. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's always always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, you know, we should just uh, you know we should continue to we should conti- people should continue to learn from each other. That's what the world is all about. And um, I think we we live in exciting times. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. חצי שעה של השראה עם ערן גפן